From the makers of the Beyond series, introducing The Chelsea and Eric Show, bringing you more extraordinary stories from the world of triathlon. I'm Chelsea Sodaro, and you know, I still see myself as pretty new to the sport. I'm super curious, and I want to learn from the best. And I am Eric Gilsonen. You know, everyone is a triathlete, they just don't know it yet. Who is your hero in the sport of triathlon? Finish line, whether you're the first finisher or the final finisher, is where all people come together. We're all out there together. That's what I live for. This, this is the Chelsea is the and Eric Show. Welcome back or welcome to the Chelsea and Eric show. We are so happy to have you here and we cannot wait to share this episode with you. Yeah, we've got a special one this week. But first, Chelsea, how are you? Things are great, Eric. Just kind of trucking along, swimming, biking and running when the smoky California weather allows. But, you know, can't complain too much. How about you? Any big training runs or have you mostly been swinging that golf club? Oh, you know, just uh, sort of dictated by the weather and the smoke and all the interesting parts of this year. Uh, Yeah, just getting in what I can. Maybe uh, get a little surfing, uh, get out to the coast. All good. Awesome. Yeah. And sending, you know, all our thoughts to everyone on the West Coast who is dealing, you know, with fire season. It's super tough time, but our, you know, our hearts are with you and hopefully, hopefully this all gets better for us soon. Now onto our interview. I had the privilege of speaking with Sarah True this week, and I was especially excited for this one because Sarah is an athlete that I've really looked up to since even before I started triathlon. And, you know, I've always really admired her grit and honesty, especially when she speaks out about super tough subjects like mental health. Yeah, as a race announcer, I've uh, met her years ago, uh, about 15 years ago, and her list of accomplishments are extensive. She's just a great woman, Middlebury College, uh, born in Cooperstown, living in New Hampshire, two-time Olympian, uh, three-time ITU world champion podium finisher. Not an easy podium to get to. And of course, fourth place in Kona in 2018, so she's definitely a winner. 100%. You know, and we can't forget, she's also the wife to pro distance runner, Ben True and dog mom to the rescue buddy. She, <laughs> buddy, Sarah lives authentically and she's not afraid to open up about the trials and tribulations of pro sport. We think you're really going to enjoy this one. Without further ado, here's Chelsea's conversation with Sarah True. Welcome to the Chelsea and Eric show, Sarah. I'm so happy to have you here. How are you? I'm doing it. Where's Eric? (laughs) It's kind of a misnomer if I'm just seeing you. I know, right? Well, Eric knew that you and I are already friends and we kind of have a rapport. And he actually suggested that it just be the two of us. I I like it. And if if you want to complain about your co-host, I'm all ears, you know? (laughs) 
<laughs> I would never I know do there that. Can, there can always be this tension. I'm happy if you want to unload. I'm your girl. <laughs> That's right. Well, you have a podcast now, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But I was listening to your most recent episode, and you were talking about going through some ebbs and flows lately. How how are you doing in this crazy world that we're living in? Where is your head at? Where is your body at? Tell me about the life of Sarah True in 2020. Oh, geez, Louise. Ah, starting off the with a tough one there. Um, I don't know. I think it's hard for everybody, right? So there are very few people for whom 2020 is absolutely the best year ever. Most of us are in mild freakout mode. Uh, and that being said, I think there are always upsides to things. And for me, I'm just trying to focus on the awesomeness in my life instead of focusing on the things that aren't so awesome right now. So for example, uh, let's see, I've been kind of exploring who else is Sarah True outside of being a triathlete. And you know, I think you can relate to this. It's, it's nice to just have some space to figure out what makes you tick that has nothing to do with racing because when we are done racing and it all happens eventually or whether you go through injury or illness you have to be able to ground yourself with those you know core items about who you are to be able to have something to keep you from spiraling out a little bit so it's been nice to get in touch with it, with with that side of who I am I love it and I Really appreciate that you are taking us here right now. I was planning to ask you a little bit about this later on in the show, but have you start? And I actually hate when people ask, because I think people tend to ask professional female athletes all of the time, what's next? When are you going to start a family? What are you going to do after you're done with sport? I think that... I think that we actually get that question a lot more often than men. But but I am wondering if you have taken this time to think about or plan a little bit about what what might come after triathlon or if or if there are other career avenues that you might want to explore during yeah. this phase of your career. I'm I'm curious. I'm curious where you're out there. So just to go back to what you were talking about, put on my feminist hat for a second. Uh <laughs> I think it's how we perceive women's sports. You know, as men's sports, it's something serious, it's something essential. And you see this even at the amateur level where, uh, you know, female participation in sport is seen as somewhat less serious, somewhat less meaningful. Uh, and we're always fighting against that. You know, if if you take, uh, I, I know quite a few women who do triathlon, for example, at an amateur level, and they always feel like they have to apologize for their time the time it takes to prepare for a race and you know their their spouses may not feel that same need to explain themselves you know to to put the emotional energy and the time in and finances into something that they really love so i i think there is something that we have to unpack as a sport with that side of things you know i'm i am married to another professional athlete and how you know, our careers are viewed. It's yeah, it's been a bit different. Um, 
I think what's good about triathlon is we are pretty accepted. You know, we it's a very egalitarian sport when it comes to uh, same distances, same money. How we see, you know, the end of a career. You're right; it is a bit different be- between the two genders. Um, you know, for for me, I it really has kind of distilled in my mind what I want to do next. And it's a little intimidating and something that I've been thinking about for a while. Uh, So I want to go back to school and I want to get my degree in psychology and I want to help people, you know, like I want to take all of my experience as an athlete, you know, the highs and the lows and to be able to help people. And that's, you know, to be able to make find meaning in what I've done um, is pretty important. So I'm taking my first hot take here. I know. Well, yes. Yeah. I I, publicly maybe. Well, so it's I'm I'm chipping. I just signed up for my first course and I'm in my first course for many years. Oh, thank you. It's it's so intimidating, though. Uh, I'm going to be great. I'm taking a prereq uh, through the Harvard Extension School. And, you know, I haven't been in academia for a while. It's really intimidating. But I decided this is a terrific opportunity. I, you know, from training, you get this brain fog. 100%. Because we're not training at as high a level as we would be if we were preparing for, say, Ironman next month. um, I have a little less brain fog. So I'm trying to capitalize on that. But yeah. That's awesome. I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited to hear that that's what you're pursuing because, you know, you have been a bit of a like mentor to me. I've called you on several occasions when I've been going through some sort of transition or needed advice. And I think you're going to be so great. Oh, thank you. In whatever avenue of psychology you decide to pursue. I'm assuming you're looking at kind of mental coaching sports psych, maybe. Uh- well, I think there is a huge need in sports specifically. So I believe we have the same sports psychologist. We do. Shout okay. out to Dr. Kristen Keim. Dr. Keim, here we go. That's right. It's interesting because years ago when I started uh, working with her, she basically was like, there's, I don't know who else I can refer athletes to. Uh, you know, I don't have... Like, I'm pretty maxed out, but I don't have, you know, a, ro- a ro- what's the modern day equivalent of a Rolodex? I don't even, I don't even really know what a Rolodex is. So, <laughs> so yeah. She doesn't have, she contacts in her eye. Her contact, contact folder <laughs> <laughs> of other people uh, who might be a better fit for an athlete. And that just, that really has, has stuck with me that, for anybody who has worked with a therapist in the past, sometimes it's just a matter of finding a person with whom you click and not every pairing is going to be perfect. You know, probably whatever style that I develop is not going to work with everyone, um, you know, but that's okay. You know, it's it's finding somebody with whom you can build a rapport. Uh, you know, there's a lot of trust. Uh, y- you develop a relationship and not all relationships, you know, are going to be automatic. True, but there are going to be athletes who are going to click really well with you and 
you have this incredible wealth of experience as an elite athlete. You've gone through a lot in your career, which we're going to get into. And you've also had this really amazing mentor in, you know, mental coaching and Dr. Kime. And so I think that is going to be just an incredible recipe for success. And, you know, sure, you have like a journey ahead of you and going back to school, which you're going to crush. But oh, I'm so excited for you. And I that just like gives me all of the good feels that you're doing that. I'm really happy to hear and excited for you. And oh. one of the things we don't talk about really openly in sport is transition. And, you know, how can we better prepare ourselves for what's next? And in an ideal world, every athlete says, OK, this is the day that I am no longer going to make a living being a professional athlete. And you do a mic drop and you walk yep. off feeling totally awesome about your career. Preferably after sitting on the top of the podium. Totally right? at a world at championship Kona. or, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right, realistically, most people kind of have, you know, that transition forced upon them you know, whether it's financial, whether it's family, whether it's realizing they just can't compete at that level anymore, they just don't have that drive anymore. You know, there are all these different reasons. And I would rather be proactive. Um, I don't know when my last race will be, but I do know that I am at the tail end of my career, you know, <laughs> realistically. And I would rather know that I can move on to something that I'm equally excited about and passionate about and feel good about like being able to take everything I've learned and wrap it up and use it in a different way. Totally. And I think there's something really empowering about taking charge of a situation like we're in when things, so many things are out of control, out of our control. We're not able to race. This is something that you can put some energy into, you can get excited about, and you can start planning for something you might be just as passionate about as you've been with triathlon yeah. and something that you're excited about and and isn't just going to be a bridge between two careers. This is something you really want to pursue. Well, it's and it, I think it's not even career-based. You know, it's trying to imagine what life is like when you're no longer doing the thing you love and realizing that there are other things I'm interested in and it's going to be okay. And it's going to be awesome. Uh, it's just trying different things and figuring out what clicks. So I do have a, an example of something that hasn't clicked. <laughs> Does it have anything to do with education? Uh, well, I'm guessing. Well, so I, I did take the USAT coaching education course okay. and got my level one certification. So this was kind of my first you know, foray into Zoom academics. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that, okay, I've, I don't know if coaching is my next step. I, I feel like I could be a pretty good coach, but I don't know. I didn't walk away from the course feeling super fired up. Like this is what I want to do next. And I think for a, Professional like coaching, you really do need to have that to I do it so right. Too. I think the best coaches are passionate about coaching like we are about doing the sport. 
totally. And it's not to say that I won't get to that point, but from my first day of class uh, with my, my social sciences writing course, I just was buzzing. And I don't know, that clicks with me. But here's, here's the failed, the real failed experiment that I did. Uh, and it's not, it's a work in progress. We'll put it this way. All right. So no races on the horizon. I'm like, okay, I live near the White Mountains. It's amazing here. I've never gone, you know, exploring in the mountains for years. I used to do a lot of hiking and backpacking. Haven't done it for a while. Ben's new training partner, uh, he wants to do this mountain run thing. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try mountain running. Oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) I kind of hated it. (laughs) And then I keep I keep on going back to hate it less. Yeah. It's just when you're on the it's just rocks, rocks everywhere. And they're very irregular and they want to kill me. And I'm (laughs) so not into it because I just don't love being in fear the entire time of where my foot is planting. And I got I was really enamored with the idea because once you're up there, it's beautiful. It's it's exciting. You know, like you get in some good vertical gain. It makes you feel good about yourself. But I like my skill level just isn't there for the technical running yet. So I'm beginning to hate it less. But I thought this was this thing that I'm like, this is going to be awesome. When I retire from triathlon, I'm totally going to be doing mountain running all the time. And then I got home from the first one. I'm like, Ben, I did not like that. (laughs) I am not good at it, which is fine. I'm okay not being good at it. But I just, you know, you want something to click and it didn't click from the get go. I don't know how hard to force it. I don't know if you've tried anything athletically like that. It's so funny that you bring that up because I live I live in Marin County and there's an incredible ultra running, mountain running scene here. We have world-class trails or all these ra- very famous races here. And and like when I was running competitive running professionally and like running some pretty fast times and placing well, I like won a couple of national championships. And someone would ask me around town like are you a runner? And be like, yeah, I run the 5K. And they would be like, but have you run the Dipsy? <laughs> which, which is this, this seven-mile trail race. <laughs> and so I get it. It is the thing here. Our running stores are all about trail running. People are excited about trail running. And I have been fortunate enough. Our mutual friend, Magda Boulay. Mm-hmm. Also, Hoka athlete is a marathoner turned trail runner. And I have been fortunate enough to watch some of her races. And I think that those athletes are amazing, but it's definitely not currently something that I aspire to pursue. <laughs> no, so I, I was running down with, uh, with Ben's training partner, Dan, and it's just loose gravel. And I'm watching him do like this slide thing and then like stop himself on some rocks and then change directions and slide again, like a hundred meters. And I'm like, heck no, not in a million years. I'm gonna die if I try that. That does not look fun, no interest. 
They're fearless. So I would go run in Tahoe with Magda when we were still training for the track. And when we would go, like, come to a big descent, the woman would just, like, put her arms out like a billy goat and barrel down the mountain. And she's, she, at the time, wasn't even that great of a descender compared to actual trail runners. So I don't even, I cannot even imagine. They're, um, they are amazing athletes, I think. You know, people look at the times that they put out in races and it it's not a representation of how fast they are. Oh, oh, so we have we have this segment that this guy Dan is going to do. And uh I thought about doing it for fun. The uh the women's time, so it's 18 miles. Uh it's eight thousand feet vertical gain. And the women's record is like I don't know. I think it's like four and a half hours or something like that. So you do the math and you're like, oh, that's super slow. That can't be that hard, even the the vertical gain. And then you go up there and it's just rocks the size of soccer balls all the way through. And you have to go like, boop, 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 like Frogger from rock to rock. No way. No. Y- yeah. The You don't get it until you actually try it. How, how skilled you have to be to run fast technically totally it's next it's next level yeah but that's exciting that you're giving it a try <laughs> why not you know you mentioned your husband ben you are one half of a very accomplished pro athlete couple i don't know if the iron man audience knows like how great of an athlete your husband is but he is a world-class distance runner national champion u.s team athlete usually you guys are off training sometimes you're i think you're together more now that you're not doing itu that you're focusing on iron man and totally um you guys are based in hanover more often but you still travel you both still travel a lot internationally you'd be racing all over the place usually not together i'm assuming that this has been kind of one of the longest periods that you've actually been in the same place what has that been like we have been together for 10 years. And when we first met, I was doing ITU and I would be gone uh, over half the year. Th- we've never had a period where it's just been the two of us. So since March, we have been in the same house, same bed, you know, it's weird. In your home, right? In, your in home our in home. Yeah. Yeah. Totally weird. Uh, he's a homebody. So he's this is his dream. He, he doesn't actually he goes to these amazing places to race and I'll ask him what he's seen. And he's seen the hotel and the track and that's it. Typical. Uh, yeah, I know. I actually enjoy travel. I like, you know, taking things in new places. Yeah. So I'm I'm a bit more stir crazy than he is. But uh, it's we actually we still like each other, which I figure is a positive. hundred <laughs> percent. I hear that's good for a marriage. <laughs> I would say so. I would say so. I mean, hopefully one day, maybe you will be home a lot together when you're not both traveling the world racing. So this is a good, t- this is a good tester, maybe another silver lining. Well, maybe by then I'll love the mountain running. So I'll just be gone for 10 hours in the mountains. <laughs> that will be like our mini breaks from each other. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> so from what I know, your community in New Hampshire is really tight-knit and close how has the 
pandemic affected your community and the environment? So we're we're really fortunate. Uh, I live in a pretty small town in New Hampshire, the basically on the border with Vermont. And, you know, Vermont still has 14 day quarantine, but we go back and forth because we're kind of exempt since we live right there. And I do half my bike rides in that state. Uh, but just our, our general community from the start, you know, high mass compliance, uh, you know, people really took it seriously. We have, we've essentially have had no cases. Um, so very few cases. The schools are back in person. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, great. We live in the same town as Dartmouth College and they've only had a few cases. The students are super compliant with mask wearing and, you know, staying within their their little bubbles. Uh, the community was pretty nervous about them coming back, but They've been back for a couple of weeks and I think there have been five cases total, but they test on a regular basis. They've been quarantined. Just it makes me very appreciative of how seriously people have taken things. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit. I think part of it is because New England, especially northern New England, we're a little, you know, standoffish anyway. Like we like our distance. We're not really huggers. So, <laughs> you're a hugger. I mean, uh, no. Uh, you're so I friendly, will. though. I'll hug you. <laughs> it's Thanks. a case by case basis. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Especially right now, especially right now. <laughs> yeah. So it's. I'm. I. Am sad because. I wish, you know, things. We all wish things were different, but I think what's great about this community is we have accepted, we have to figure out a way to live with this and, you know, for the time being. And we've really kind of rallied behind that. Wow. Yeah. I would like to read Uh a quote from you last year, from earlier in the year, actually, And I think it's more poignant now than ever, actually. He said, while we all have our individual struggles and challenges, there's this overlap in our experience. And I think it's something that's so beautiful, you know, more than just about athletes. It's about being human. There are these universal truths about what what it is to be a person and to be alive. And I think the more that we recognize those commonalities, the stronger our communities get. And I'm wondering if... You said that. It's beautiful. Do you think that that has revealed itself in the pandemic in your community and then also in the greater, in the triathlon community? Uh, I have been pretty heartened to see, you know, from the start, like when we all were in lockdown basically in March, it was hard for everybody, but there was this tremendous sense of solidarity where I would log on to Zwift and just see people all around the world and this feeling of gratitude that we had some place where we could be together and then seeing people share their experiences on social media. You know, say what you will about social media. Obviously, there are downfalls of it. But the upside is people were connecting with one another and, you know, cheering each other on through hardship, recognizing in other people's struggles, you know, a resonance of their own. 
And, you know, we all, it was all just a question of degree to which it's affected us. You know, I, I think at this point, some of that feeling have of maybe community and solidarity might not be quite as strong. Um, Cause let's be honest, a lot of people got pretty tired of it. Um, but just how it felt in March, April, I was really grateful for my triathlon community, you know, because I didn't have, I couldn't engage in my physical community in New Hampshire, but I could go on a group ride with other triathletes. I could, you know, see what other people were doing. And I thought that was, I thought that was really nice. Yeah. Do you think that that's something that you have been more, even before COVID, do you think that that's something you've been more deliberate about? cultivating since you started Ironman, that kind of community aspect? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, I do think it's it's partially to do with my shift from short course racing because you're you're it's very insular, like you're going around the world with the same, you know, 60, 70 women, 67 men, like and you don't really engage with the amateur side of sport. And I think my first 70.3, as I switched over, I just, I loved the feeling, you know, checking in and there are people standing in line next to you. They don't care you're a pro. They just care that you're covering the same course and that you're all going to do it together. And everybody has their individual goals. And I just, I I found it really refreshing. I, I don't know if you felt the same way when you switched over where just it, it was less it was less about how do I stack up against other people and more that feeling of, you know, how what can I do on the day? Totally. Um, and it's so much more individual, uh, but also like it's less about racing in a sense and more about just finding the most out of yourself. And I think that's something whether you're the last person across the line or you're the first, that's what brings us all together, which I think is pretty special about the sport. I think so too. I think I haven't done a marathon, but I think it's a similar sensation in that even just covering the distance, even just covering a 70.3 or a full Ironman distance is an accomplishment, whether you're doing it in under four hours for a 70.3 or you're doing it in seven hours. It's still a really long way to go on, you know, two wheels and two feet. And so I think that that kind of shared suffering and shared accomplishment of completion is really unifying. You know, we're all kind of out there struggling together in our own yeah. ways. Well, and I think it's it goes beyond what happens on race day. I think we all recognize what it takes to get to the start line. You know, how many hours you spend training. And let's be honest, there is sacrifice for everybody who does this sport because it requires so much of you physically. And in terms of just pure time, if you are an amateur athlete who has family, who has you know full-time job and you're balancing the training to do a 70.3 or an Ironman, I mean, that takes real love and dedication. And you know, we almost have it easier because we don't have those additional stressors. Uh, but it's I think what's just so cool is that everybody has gotten there and there's been a lot of work that's gone into it. And it's just the race itself is kind of that celebration of everything you've done 
preceding the race. I was just going to say that. And the whole atmosphere, the whole atmosphere around the events are just Mm -hmm. so fun and celebratory. Totally. So during this season, I'm assuming that your training has looked a little bit different than it usually would if you were preparing for a key race. And I've seen you on your gravel bike a little bit. I've seen you on the mountain bike a little bit. And we talked about your endeavors into trail running. But I I think our audience would actually really love to hear what your training has been like. I'm assuming you haven't had normal pool access. How have you adjusted? Has it been stressful? Have you just kind of gone with the flow? Is your coach Dan Lorang writing you really structured training? Tell us a little bit about what your training has looked like. Yeah, so we can go sport by sport. So swim. Great. Like everybody else, I do not. Well, I guess there's some people who have their own private pools. Uh, but up here, we still had ice on the lakes. So I was open water wasn't an option. Pools were closed. I just, I actually managed that pretty well. Um, I realized that at some point I'll get to swim again. You know, what's nice about having done sport for a long time is you realize that you have that base of years and yeah. Okay. I'm still not in that good swim shape (laughs) and it's been months, but I know, I know once I really put my head down, um, like the swim will come back quickly, but like you said, you know, I've, I've restricted pull axis, the water is starting to get pretty cold up in water. Uh, so there will be a point where, you know, I have to, I just have to make the most of my, my limited pool time and finally get my butt in gear. Um, let's see, bike. I've just been having so much fun riding and exploring. We have a bunch of dirt roads up here. So I've been riding tons on, you know, gravel riding. Uh, I've done, I try to to ride on my TT bike at least once a week just to get that muscle memory. Yeah. Because it's it's not natural for me to stay in that position. And it feels awkward. every If, if I go a couple of weeks without riding a TT bike, it feels really awkward to get back on it. So we just want me to have that consistency. Um, and then I have been mountain biking more. And what's awesome about not having any races necessarily on the schedule is if I hurt myself, I mean, it stinks, but it's a lot more fun to mountain bike if you're not scared of crashing. And I think you're probably less likely to crash if you're totally. not scared of crashing. Totally. Because your your upper body's relaxed and that just translates all the way down the bike and how you handle it. Yeah, for sure. And it's just so much fun. It is so much fun. I agree. So we have been trying to do... I would say like 20 to 25 hours of training week. Uh, You know, normally we would do like 25 to 30 hours. So it's not a huge difference, but it's a little bit more play, um, a little less swimming. Uh, You know, they I would say it's a low simmer, like a low simmer. It's like, you know, the the water's kind of roiling a little bit, but it's not like no big bubbles. So if something were to come on your calendar in the next few months, you feel like you could 
start. Yeah, that's that's been the goal. You know, I I had been hoping that best case scenario. So back in March, I'm like, okay, best case scenario, I thought was realistically there might be a race in November. Um, And I realize that's more pessimistic than other people were thinking. Uh, But I, yeah, I would have rather been surprised by how quickly things turned around than constantly been disappointed. So we're like, okay, so maybe, maybe we'll, we'll be able to do Ironman Arizona or uh, maybe Florida. Both are still on the calendar. We'll see. Do you have, so do you, are those both still on your calendar? Uh, Your tentative calendar? You know, maybe Arizona. I'll have to have a serious talk with my coach. Like I'm, yeah. It would be interesting. It would it would not be a traditional Ironman prep. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah, so we'll see. I just, I am wavering between just calling it a year and, you know, moving on to 2021 and trying to focus on that race. So it's, yeah, you're catching me at an interesting point. If you had asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said, yes, definitely those races. Uh, but it's not, the forecast is not looking awesome. It's really tough right now because it's not just about, at least from my perspective, Yeah, it's not just about whether the race will or will not happen. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that goes into preparing for it. There's a lot that goes into traveling it. There are ethical questions in my Mm -hmm. mind that go into traveling to a race and the whole production of bringing all of your stuff and people that come with, you know, it's a lot. And so I think that it's, it's not quite as simple as, you know, it's on the calendar. So I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the part that just because I might be physically ready doesn't mean I will be able to commit because it's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Um, And I love what I do. I love competing. It's just, it's never seemed so complicated as it does right now. Totally. Someone wrote me a note actually on social media and it was totally respectful But they said, I had posted about the fires here and they said, well, if training is your life, why don't you just leave and go to a training camp somewhere? And going to a training camp right now to me is a really big decision. Going to a different community, you know, I have like parents that are 65. I have, you know, like I interact with vulnerable populations. I don't want to affect vulnerable populations if I go somewhere. So it's it's really tough. Yeah. No, and it's it's been interesting watching other athletes navigate it because these are all not, there is no right or wrong answer. We right. just all have to figure things out for ourselves and we have different comfort levels. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to talk to you about last year. Okay. 
it was a tough one for you. And I can so empathize with that because I have had like a few years in my career that totally wiped me out where I thought, you know, like maybe things are over for me competing at this level or, you know, just like my season was crushed because of injury or illness or whatever. And, and from my perspective, you were ready for a big breakthrough at the Ironman distance. You know, you you were crushing it in Cairns when you, um, were forced to drop out. You, Oh, I blacked out. I mean, (laughs) when you blacked out. Yeah. When you, I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. I laugh to keep from crying. I know. (laughs) I know. Levity is important. (laughs) You were having, you know, the race of your life, perhaps in Frankfurt. I don't, I'm just curious what that has been like to navigate if you're open, if you're open to talking about it. So, okay, my my first year in Ironman, it went well. You know, I got fourth at Kona. And our plan was always that the first year, you just see if you're any good at it. The second year, you build on that, and that's when you expect results. Uh, and, you know, training went well. I was excited. I was motivated, like all systems go. Um, and my body basically just wouldn't let me race. And we tried to do everything. So my my coach, he, he comes from a physiology background, super smart guy. Like we tried to be very systematic about it. So, you know, this isn't nutritional things. It's not overheating. It's all all the, the, the easy answers. It wasn't that, you know, and all we could figure was that, uh, you know, it was basically autonomic system. Um, like my, my brain was recognizing threat where there was none. So what do you do with that information? I being stubborn as heck, I'm like, I'm just going to keep on trying. (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but I fit and I want to race and I love this and it's going to be okay because just power of, you know, will. Power of will is awesome, but it can only go so far. So I am proud of myself for doing everything I could within those limitations. Uh, but also, like, it, if you don't have answers, there's nothing you can do. So I still don't have the answers. When I was supposed to do some testing, uh, I was going to do some testing out in Denver. And that's basically when COVID started to hit. Oh, that's so, so tough. Yeah, and there there are only a few different places in the U.S. where I can do this kind of testing. Um, so, I, like, the upside of all of, you know, 2020 is that maybe my nervous system will heal. You know, maybe not stressing my body out, my my nervous system out as much as you have to to race hard. In Iron Man, maybe that will give me a chance to put out a performance that reflects my training, my preparation. I sure didn't get that last year, but that's it is what it is. You know, I, I learned a lot and I think Iron Man teaches you humility about your body. 
It's just my lessons came my second year, not my first year. I think most people have probably one rough race when they're starting off and it teaches them to respect the distance and their body's limitations. And I, I didn't have that the first year. What I think is so admirable is how open you have been about this adversity that you face. You know, you and your husband have a YouTube channel and you have gone on there after some of these performances and like been really vulnerable and poured your heart out. And I think that's really important for people to see because we don't always get our happy endings in a season. Hopefully we get them in a career, but you know, things don't always work out perfectly, but the journey I think is still so worthwhile. And I hope that you feel that way, but I think that people can be just as inspired and learn just as much from the harder moments as they do from, you know, when you're crossing the finish line first. Yeah, I think I think a lot of time um, because I know the you know, my career before doing Ironman, doing longer distance stuff, I I think I definitely put up a wall and you know, that's a, you know, with sharing things and that's a protective mechanism that comes from ego. Um, But I feel like I have nothing to lose by being myself and by sharing things and it of course opens you up to to judgment to criticism but uh i'm pretty secure in myself now and i'm okay with that like if if people want to criticize me that's fine because for every person like that there's somebody with whom uh i resonate like what i'm going through resonates and it helps them like if if i put things out there and i am honest um i I, that's going to be more more impactful i think absolutely and then you also know that the people who are cheering for you you know they're really there for it they're there in the great moments and in the not so good ones and it does make it so much more rewarding when you have the awesome days out there. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, the the fairy tale ending last year would have been, it all comes together in Kona and I have a great race. <laughs> but yeah. that didn't happen, you know? But that's also part of the story. So, you know, the, of, of course you want things to always go according to scripts, but it's sport. You know, sometimes you can do things right. You can be super prepared and things don't go according to plan. And it's really, you know, how you deal with it. That's the testament to who you are, not not the winning or losing or having a great day. It's how you deal with success and failure. And I I actually don't think it's failure. It just is what it is. Um, But yeah. Yeah, it is cheesy but it's quite the metaphor for life if you choose to approach it that way if you can have the humility that you have and you can you know translate this into life outside of sport this is going to be such a gift for your 
for your clients, for your sports site clients down the road? <laughs> I I hope so. I I don't know. I I think we all have these pretty deep seated um, cultural expectations about what it means to perform in sport, and you know a lot of that comes from media. A lot of some of that comes from social media. Just everything's very filtered. Um, you know, I didn't. I wish that I had known that you could be as flawed as I am and still be a professional athlete. You know, like that would have been really empowering to me when I was younger. So I think a, there there is a there is a segment of us who are happy to put ourselves out there and talk about these things, you know, just purely to to add like a counter narrative that you don't have to be perfect to find success. <laughs> right. And in fact, none of us are perfect. And it's those imperfections that actually make us really good at what we do oftentimes. I also think that makes us more interesting. Because honestly, 100%. If, let's be honest, if you were at like a dinner party with all super perfect people, it would be very annoying. <laughs> it would be pretty boring. <laughs> it would be, I don't know, perfect people probably have a lot of things to talk about, but there would just probably be something unsettling about the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, who are you, robots? I know, you're right. You're so right. My last question for you before we get to our quick fire round is, Uh-oh. what is still exciting you in the sport? You know, you're so, so highly decorated. What still gets you out of bed in the morning to train? Uh, I love it. I mean, I love training. I love the feeling at the end of the day when I've had a good hard training day. And sometimes that doesn't mean that it's gone well, but just that, that physical feeling, um, that feeling of, you know, ticking boxes and accomplishment. Uh, and I genuinely think, I, this is something I've talked about before. I think, okay, over time we get slower, obviously, because physiology, but you could always be a better athlete. So every year that I stay in the sport, I think I'm in a, I am a better athlete than I was the year before. You know, I understand my body better. I understand the demands of the sport better. I have more humility, like, about my limitations. Uh, I can separate ego during workouts and, like, I'm more effective. I am a better athlete. Okay, I'm not a better, like, mountain runner, but I'm, I am better at knowing my body about knowing sport. Um, and I think that's, you know, whether you're new to triathlon and you're 60, like that should be something that fuels you because it may not be speed, but you can be a better athlete by the time you're 70. And that athletic IQ can take you a very long way in a sport like Ironman. This is not, you know, a pure speed game here. And so I think the more you learn, the more you know about yourself, the farther you'll get. Totally. Well, it's just, I think this is bigger than sport. I think it's being at peace with our bodies and not just a, just that acceptance of, 
uh, you know, we all will get older. And when I am like in my 80s, then I just want to be at peace with my body and the way it is in the 80s and just celebrate what I can still do. And I, I think when you don't have that real understanding of how your body works and what it's capable of, and also the humility that knows its limitations, you're, you're at a, you have a mental battle with, you know, knowing what things were in the past, having an idea of how things should be, and you just aren't comfortable with yourself. I love that attitude. There is such a culture and endurance sports of trashing our bodies. And I think actually when you really fuel your body and nurture your body and take care of your body and have this approach that you do, you can be a lifelong athlete. You can be successful at the very highest levels of your sport. And you can still be getting out there when you're 80. And I think that's a really important message for for people to hear from an athlete like yourself. Oh, thank you. No, I mean, trust me, for all of us, it bangs us up a little bit. But you can adapt and you could do things differently. You you learn different ways, but you just it's when you start forcing things that aren't clicking, that's when you end up with with serious issues. Pro tip of the day. <laughs> from Sarah True. I've got a couple of fun questions for you here, Sarah. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Quick fire round. Okay. Favorite mantra or saying? I don't have one. Okay. Favorite journey? Define journey. It's open to interpretation. Life. <laughs> Favorite sound? Uh, I don't know. Bird song, first thing in the morning. Beautiful. <laughs> Who would you invite to a dinner party, dead or alive? How many people are we talking about? Oh, this is just one one guest, one dinner one guest. One guest? Yeah. Uh, Trevor Noah. Yes. <laughs> I'm such a fan. Ben's, Ben's okay with this. Don't worry. <laughs> that would be a great conversation between the three of you. <laughs> First thing you want to do when we are out of the COVID woods? You know, I don't think of it like, so when you have the woods, you have a transition zone. So it's not like I'm in the woods. I'm not in the woods. <laughs> like you have shrubbery and small trees and then you enter the woods. <laughs> so That's such a Sarah I'm true answer. <laughs> I mean, I've got to rely on my environmental science knowledge here. <laughs> I'm going to look at the shrubbery and be grateful for whatever it is. <laughs> we'll take it. Sarah True, thank you so much for coming on the Chelsea and Eric show. It has been Thanks, such Chelsea. a pleasure. I can't wait for that hug in real life one day virtual hug right now um, oh you totally set me up didn't you <laughs> my first when i get out of the woods thing is i give chelsea a hug i take <laughs> it all right back. <laughs> oh perfect perfect awesome well thank you so much for coming on we really appreciate your time and good luck with everything you too chelsea thanks sarah bye
Wow, Chelsea, that was great. Well done. I really enjoyed hearing about Sarah's training during the pandemic and uh, how she's been mixing in of, uh, of course, the trendy gravel and uh, the old school mountain biking. Absolutely. I really appreciate Sarah's approach. She's doing her best to have fun with this sport, especially when she's not able to prepare for a specific race like so many of us are experiencing right now. Really interesting to hear Sarah talk about going back to school, you know, getting her master's in psychology and with her goal of helping other athletes navigate in sport and life with her background, with her toolkit, uh, she's got so much to offer and it's so awesome that she, like a lot of good people, want to give back to the sport that's given her the life she has today. So many athletes struggle to navigate that transition from pro sport to life after sport. And I think Sarah's candor could be really helpful for other athletes. Pro sport doesn't last forever, as we all know. And I think it's really important to consider what's next. This was a vulnerable and honest conversation. Mm -hmm. And I would expect nothing less from Sarah. I reached out to her beforehand and I said, Sarah, is there anything that's off limits that you don't want to talk about? And she said, nope, I'm an open book. She never shies away from the tough subjects, which I think is why she's so, you know, beloved by her fans. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Next time we go to the hometown of Drew Brees and Tony Hawk, Delmar, California, to talk to Ironman Hall of Fame legend, Dr. Scott Tinley. So please look for that episode at a podcast provider near you. Please subscribe to The Chelsea and Eric Show. Brought to you by Hoka One One and Iron Man.